you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available, just raise your hand and they'll bring one right to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Matthew chapter 18, we'll start at verse 15 through the end of the chapter. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Matthew 18, starting at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. He began, to choke, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You God, give us understanding portion of scripture that is read before us today. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. After prayer, a choir will come with special music. And then a message for today. After a message, we have communion today. And then we fell up in fellowship and end together in a song. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to come here to be a part of this fellowship and worship today. 
We thank you for the testimony of baptism that was shown, Brother Linwood, sharing his faith and having a powerful testimony of what you've done in his life. We pray that you would continue to bless and strengthen him, allow him, challenge, encourage him to serve you faithfully here. We thank you for your keeping of us. We pray for those who are sick or have some type of ailment. I think of Annette, we call Mickey. I just pray for her, Lord, that you just continue to sustain her, be with her and keep her. She doesn't complain much, but I know she's going through a lot. I just pray, Lord, that you just watch over her. We pray for others who are going through different um, procedures, operations, or healing from some past operations and procedures. We just pray that they might know that you are the God that created us. You know how to heal this body. And if you choose, you can heal completely. Or like in Paul's case, you, remain, you let remain some ailment to remind him to put his faith and trust in you. Whatever you choose, Lord, we pray that we might trust you in it and give glory to you, praising you whatever state we have to live in because we know this state here is a temporary one. And we look forward to having perfect whole bodies where we can worship and praise you forever. So keep our minds and our focus towards you, Lord, whether we are healthy or sick. Now we pray for this service and all who are part of it, Lord, that you might impress your word upon us, your Holy Spirit might speak to our hearts. It might impact our lives for your glory. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.
song is about praise, how good it is to praise God. This is a month where we remind ourselves of praise and worship and giving thanks to God. I can give thanks. Elder Brian and I, all of last month, have just received, it seems like, unceasing gifts that have come on pastor's appreciation that uh, we just want to really say thank you. You know, what really amazes me is that when I hear our, our offering report, all the gifts that were given, and then to be said that we went over gold in our giving. That means you were lavish in giving to us, and we can testify to that, but you didn't hold back from giving as you normally do to God's work here. And I praise God for your faithfulness in that endeavor. May God bless you for your gifts, and I know that he will always reward that's given, things that are given for his glory and for his work, so praise God for that. Um, Last week, we had our special message, appreciate Elder Brian and speaking from uh, Ephesians chapter 6, what a powerful reminder of God's provision for us in fighting against uh, sin and in fighting in the battle that we have here. In, and so today we pick up in our series in Matthew. And if you remember last time, we didn't quite finish Matthew 18. So today we want to take the rest of it. Really want to look at verses 15 um, through 20. I mean, 15 through, through 35, the rest of the chapter there. And uh, just... We see a, a common theme here, in, in fact, in the whole chapter. The chapter starts with the disciples asking Jesus who would be greatest in the kingdom. And he answers their question by bringing a child before them. And he teaches them that the one who humbles himself is greatest. In other words, if you want to be great, to humble yourself. And in fact, he says, that's what faith is like, and that's what life in the kingdom demands. And he makes a pretty strong statement when he says this in verse 3. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we notice that that turn just reminds us and points us to the word repent. Unless we turn from our sin, repent, acknowledge, and turn to God as in a faith like a little child, in a humility like a little child. The problem with us turning is we think too much of ourselves. We have to be sinners before we can be saved. <laughs> now, being a sinner is not the hard thing. Admitting one is a sinner is the hard thing. So he says, unless you have the humility to look at yourself in a lowly state, in other words, tell the truth about yourself, then you can't receive this grace that comes from God. 
So he starts talking about what it means to be a part of the kingdom by introducing this child. And he introduces the child because a, a child is vulnerable and at risk. And then he makes the point that God the Father looks out on children because of their vulnerability and that they're at risk. And he says, woe to anybody who takes advantage of that vulnerability. And so he begins from there to talk about sin, repentance, forgiveness, and judgment. And I think the whole chapter is about that, that, that topic because it's all grouped together. Sin, repentance, forgiveness, and God's judgment. In fact, I think he, all, he almost starts off with his judgment. But he has to talk about sin when he talks about that judgment. When he introduces this child, he begins in this conversation about, woe to those, woe to us who are subject to temptation, basically what he's saying. In other words, all of us. But woe to the one who brings the temptation. And then he says, if anyone would lead one of these children astray, it'd be better. Can I speak in today's language? <laughs> They'd be better off if they took a shotgun, pointed it at their head, and, and pulled the trigger. Because, what is his point? God will judge in his own way those who sin and take advantage against these little ones. So in there he's talking about sin, and there he's, he's talking about his judgment. He goes on to make that point by giving this parable of the lost sheep, and we emphasize that before. So verses 1 through 14, he's bringing that topic in. And then in verse 15, he talks about the community in the church, but still in regards to dealing with sin and forgiveness of sin. He says, if a brother sins against you, this is how you are to handle it. Now, if you go back to Luke 17, let me just, just peek, peek at that real quick. Luke 17 is, is the same discussion from another gospel's view, okay? So let's just take a real quick peek. Right at verse 1, he says to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Then he says this, pay attention to yourselves. If your, brothers, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he has sinned against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. He says, if he sins, rebuke him. And then if he repents, forgive him. Repentance is based, excuse me, forgiveness is based on repentance. Forgiveness is based on repentance. Don't get that wrong. God doesn't forgive everybody. He does not forgive those who don't turn from sin and come and trust in him. Hell is going to be 
filled with those who haven't repented and aren't forgiven. That's the gospel. Forgiveness is based on a repentance that means not just turning from sin, but turning to God in the way God has demanded, not your own way, in his way as he prescribes. And how did he say to do that? He, from Genesis on, he said it's through the sacrifice of his son. He gave pictures of that in Genesis chapter 3 and in Genesis chapter 4. You can see that in in, in, in um, Adam and Eve and the cult of skin that he gave them and in Cain and Abel and the sacrifices that he accepted and rejected. And you can get that sense of what he's saying clearly. I'm giving you a picture of my son who is the only, as First John says, he is the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation is in First John chapter 2 and in chapter 4 there means he is the acceptable one and only acceptable payment for sin. That's Jesus Christ. And so, go back to Matthew. Now, he's talking about this idea of how we deal with sin. He starts off in the church how we deal with sin and how we bring a person to, uh, we help them get to this point of repentance so that they can have forgiveness expressed to them. And he goes through those steps in chapter uh, 18, verse 15 through 20. If a brother sins, what do you do? You rebuke him, you challenge him, uh, and you, you help him see that sin so that he can turn from it. And then if he turns, he says, you gained your brother. It's over. The issue is completed. You've done what needed to be done, needed to be done so that this brother who has sinned can be forgiven. Then in each of those steps, he says, if he doesn't turn from that sin, if he doesn't repent, you take it to another step. You take it to another step. The title of this message is, Pass It Up to Me. Pass it on up to me. This is what forgiveness does. Forgiveness takes it out of the court of Brian. See, when somebody does something stupid driving in front of me, I want to pay them back. I want to see to it that they get paid back. But forgiveness takes it out of the court of Brian and puts it into the court of God. So he says in the church, this is how you do it. Now, notice... What he says there, going back to our text in Matthew 18, after he gives the steps, he says, verse 17, he, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, this is the second time in all of the four Gospels that the term church is mentioned. The first time we've read already in Matthew 16, when Jesus asked Peter, who do you think I am? He says, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And, 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 and he says, flesh and blood, you didn't get that through your own smarts, your own intelligence or education. The Father revealed this to you. And he says, based on this, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's only the second time he's 
use that word. It's ekklesia in the Greek. There's two times, and they appear in Matthew, and we've seen them both. And both of those times, he uses this term and phrase that I don't want to gloss over this time. It says, truly, verse, verse, um, in chapter 18, verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This term, this idea of binding and loosing. In chapter 16, he says it this way. In verse 17, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This idea of binding and loosing is the authority that he has given to his church. Someone to say, and I think it's too strong to say, authority to forgive sin. Jesus made it clear no one can forgive sin except God himself. That's why he did a miracle. He did a miracle before people, and I think this is in, in the other Gospels, particularly in Mark, he did a miracle. He healed a man, and he healed him by saying, son, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees came and said, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. What are you talking about? How can you forgive somebody's sin? Only God can do that. And Jesus is saying, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't make a mistake. He did it to make a point of who he was. He specifically said, well, what does it matter if I say, son, be healed or your sins are forgiven? He's in other words, I got authority to do them all. And I didn't misspeak. I said it for your sake. Do you understand who I am? It's given the church authority not to forgive sin in the sense that he forgives, but to pass it on up to him. That's what we do in our forgiveness. We sign off on it, Lord, yep, the wrong been done. I went to them and they, they didn't make it right, so I'm handing it up to your court. I'm handing it up to your court. In other words, he's saying, look, when the wrong has been done and the person comes to repent, hey, you've loosed it on earth, it's loosed in heaven, it's forgiven in heaven. When it ain't forgiven on earth and you pass it on up to him, he's going to handle it. In fact, that's what he's saying in this whole passage. He's saying, look, these little ones, these children, if you dare attack them and sin against them and abuse them in some way, I'm going to see you up in heaven. You're going to appear before me in my court. And it would be better for you if you never lived than to come and appear before me. It's a shame that we have those things happening right around us in our own city. There was an incident just very recently, very close to my own house, where a five-year-old was found dead. And it didn't release all of the details, 
But when we come to know the details, we found out that this five-year-old wasn't just accidentally killed. He was brutally murdered and tortured to death by people who, two individuals who laughed at it and thought it a joke. Our courts don't have the means to take care of that. They can arrest a person, put them in jail even for life, but they don't have the means to bring justice there. God knows that. And he says, pass it on up to me. Pass it on up to me, because I promise you, I am going to execute my justice in a proper way. And it won't be a life term in terms of days on this earth. It will be an eternity term that I will judge. Pass it on up to me. So he comes down to the church in 15 through 20 of Matthew 18, and he says, and you deal with sin when it's forgiven, when it's repented and forgiven, I've loosed it in heaven as well. But when it isn't, and you pass it on up to me, I'll deal with it. Pass it on up to me. By the way, it's saying beware. Deal with your sin properly here, humbly here before God has to deal with it. That's not a threat. It's a promise. It's a promise by God. He will, in fact, deal with sin. Something happened funny this week, and I was laughing about it. Right after pastor's appreciation, I looked in my account, and in my financial account, it had been added $10,000. I'm like, whoa, God is good, right? <laughs> of course, I didn't even see it as my wife saw it. I don't, I don't even look at the financial account, but she takes care of that. She looked at it, she saw it, she said, and soon after, we got a call. <laughs> from our treasurer here at the church and says, you know what? That was from the church account, but that was an accident. <laughs> we knew it was an accident. But we laughed at that. I was talking to Andy yesterday, and he said, you know what? He was like, good thing you honest. I'm like, man, can you imagine what would happen if I was dishonest? and thought I could get away with that. It's not before men. It's before God that I fear. God be like, you, you think that 10000 was was worth that? Really? Really? You do not fear what I can do to you? It's him that we fear. You see, in this life, we use words like fairness and equity. We don't often understand the meaning of justice. In our terms, fairness is mean treat me, and I know 
face to face. It just means treat me right. I understand that. But we have a twisted idea of fairness that says that I ought to be treated the exact same as you are treated in every situation and every circumstance. That's just that's stupid. It's foolish. If you're a parent, you understand that. You don't treat your children all exactly the same. I'll give you an example. I grew up, six of us siblings, and our two parents, so we had eight in the household. And we were poor. I didn't know we was poor, but we were. I didn't find out until I got older. <laughs> I saw all the people and, 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 and how the people lived. I said, wow, I guess we were poor. Never once considered it when I was young. Never once considered it. I enjoyed my childhood immensely and never felt like I was missing out on anything. So for our treat, my dad would buy a half a gallon of ice cream. And since it was eight of us, he would take the butcher knife and split it down the middle and down the side and then again and again into eight equal pieces so that all of us could have a bowl of equal amount of ice cream. Now, me being number five, I only had one younger sibling, my brother. That was cool because we got the same amount as my brother and my sister, my other brother, other brother, all of them much older than me, and in fact, the same amount as my mom and dad. That was fine in my book. And then as I grow older, I think, mama had the same amount as me? It's like he should have gave us that little half gallon and take mama out to special ice cream somewhere. See, we didn't have the money to do that. But that's a sacrifice they made. And some would see it as fair. No, it ain't fair. See, fair is a human term. We see it as equitable. Yes, it's equitable. But is it right? <laughs> Not if you mama. She deserves way much more than her hard-headed son. Just got a whooping the day before, now he getting ice cream, same out of her. Now understand, on human terms before each other, we want to be treated properly. You need a different word than fair. And when we come before God, <laughs> justice is what God deals. And justice don't care about fair. Justice cares about what was done wrong in offense and dealing out the proper punishment for that offense. So in this chapter, he talks about sin, and he talks about repentance, and he talks about forgiveness. And in the last part, he gives this parable to help us understand the weight of what forgiveness really is. And you know the story. The big boss 
had a lot of employees. And he took one employee and he says, hey, we need to settle these accounts. I have given you, he says, 10,000, excuse me, yeah, 10,000 talents. Understanding of a talent, one talent was a lifetime wage or very close to it. However you want to figure that out, when you got 10,000, that's a whole lot. In other words, if the person who had 10,000 talents that, were, that he owed, he'd have to work his whole lifetime and pay 100% of his wages to that debt, and he still would have to live 10,000 more times and pay all of his, every single cent of his wages 10,000 times for his whole life to pay that debt off. That's the point that Jesus is making. This dude owed so much, he couldn't possibly pay it off if he and all of his family and all of his brothers and all his cousins and all his friends and all of them pitched in and paid all, every single penny they made for the rest of their lives all together. They couldn't do it. The point is, ain't, ain't no way you're going to pay this off. Not in 10,000 lifetimes are you going to pay it off. But he says, be patient with me. That's a joke. Patience. Come on, dude. I don't live long enough to be that patient. I got to live 10,000 more times to have time to be patient with you. But just be patient with me. I'll pay it all. There was no way he was going to do that. It was so bad. The big boss said, man, come here, man, come here. Don't joke with me. Ain't no way you're going to pay that off. Just admit it. I'm going to let you go. You going to what? I'm going to let you go. You mean I owe half? If you owe half, you still can't do it. No, I'm going to let you go. You're free. Period. Can you imagine how he should have felt? I want to say like somebody who won the lottery, but that ain't even a match. It's way more than that. But what does he do? He walks out the king's office, the big boss's office, whoop, feeling good. Hey, who is that over there? Dude, come here, man. It says a fellow servant he went after. And this fellow owed him, what did it say, 100 denarii? Denarii is one day's wage. So 100, 100 is less than a, a year, half a year. So it's six months, four months, somewhere around that way. It's a lot of money. It's, it's a significant amount of money, but it ain't nowhere near. You could pay that off. You could pay that off. But it's nowhere near what he owed. And he had absolutely no pity on this dude. Grabbed him by the throat, threw him down, probably embarrassed him in front of everybody, and said, dude, you're going to pay me every, every single penny you owe me. And he meant it. And the dude said, 
Be patient with me. And I'll pay it all. I ain't hearing that. Threw him in jail until he was to pay the very last penny. Now, as the story goes, there were witnesses to that. The fellow laborers, the fellow, the, everybody's on the same level here. They saw what dude do to the other dude. And they said, man, that's a shame. You see what he did? You see how he treated them? That probably was even before they knew that he had just been forgiven of his huge debt. And they came back to the big boss, and they told him what happened. And as you can imagine, he was furious. Here's the point of the whole story. Verse 33, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The point of this story is we forgive because we've been forgiven. We are mandated. We must forgive because we've been forgiven. We must forgive the little bit against us because we've been forgiven so much against our Heavenly Father. That's the whole point of the story. Now, if you go back, you see in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus talked about how we should pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven others. In other words, our, God, God looks at us that if we do not forgive others, he's going to hold back forgiveness to us. So this is teaching us how we ought to deal with one another, graciously forgiving one another. The question that led up to this is what Peter said, hey, how far does this forgiveness go? If somebody sins the exact same sin against us seven times in one day, ain't that the limit? That's what Peter was saying. And I had enough of this. And Jesus said, no, no, not even. Even if it's 77 times, he was just exaggerating to make the point. No, there's no limit because of what God has forgiven us. Do we realize how much God has forgiven us? When we come to Christ and seek forgiveness for our sin, God says, I forgive you of everything past, present, and future. Now, some, some, some want to debate that. Well, now, wait a minute. It can't be present and future. If it wasn't, salvation wouldn't mean anything because then it would be based on us having been forgiven, being perfect. It ain't possible. We can't do it. Now, some say, well, you know, I've been living with God for so long, I have ceased to sin. They haven't read 1 John 1. They haven't read 1 John. 1 John says, if you say that you don't sin, you're just a liar. And that ain't man talking. It's God saying, you're a liar and the truth ain't in you. Say, you ain't even saved if you think like that. He's not saying you're so holy that you, you could possibly be in that state. You ain't even saved if you think like that. 
A saved person is one who's humble enough, like a little child again, to know that they have a huge sin debt like that first servant that they can't possibly pay. If you only sinned a little bit, then you ain't saved. Right. If you only sinned a little bit, you don't understand sin and you don't understand salvation. David said, our sin is so bad. From the moment of conception, I was a sinner. Obviously, that's not an action. Maybe that's conceived, hasn't acted, hasn't done anything. But he has passed down from Adam a sin nature that condemns him already. You know why you're a sinner? Because you, you're Adam's boy or you're Adam's girl. You were born a sinner, deserving fully of God's judgment. But that ain't fair, God. That ain't fair. I didn't even do anything. You would have. <laughs> and God knows it. First chance you get, you would have. You were born with a sin nature that is condemned by God. So salvation is only for sinners. If you're not a sinner, then you don't qualify for salvation. And there's one, only one other alternative. But it's sinners who humbly come to God and see this. And because they see themselves as sinners, when they realize that they have been forgiven fully, it changes their nature. And they are willing to forgive others. Now, I, I don't have time to, 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 to dwell in this, but in this forgiveness is a condition of repentance that's mandated by Scripture. You can't forgive anybody. In fact, God doesn't even forgive anybody who isn't truly repentant. But what you can do is pass it on up to God. That's what you do. You pass it on up to God, and he says, I'll deal with it. It's just like the big boss in this story. The servants said, <laughs> had an issue with this servant who, who mistreated his fellow servant that way, what'd they do? Pass it on up to the big boss. Like, man, did you see this? Did you know about this? Did you hear about this? You know what to do that you forgave all the debt, 10,000 talents, you forgave him all that. You know what he did? They just passed it back up to the big boss, and the big boss took action. It says here, it says, verse 34, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. Some people want to think that anger is inappropriate and always sinful. Jesus tells this story so they might understand it's fully justified here and properly and appropriately given. The big boss is angry. He's mad. He's furious over this action, and he takes action against it. This big boss is a picture of God. He's a picture of God. And he's saying, if we do not forgive, he acts in this way. Because how great is our forgiveness in Christ. 
Father, we thank you. We want to pause right now and just say, help us to properly reflect on what you have done. As we take communion today, help us to properly reflect on what your son went through and accomplished with his death on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask our leaders if they will come forward as we prepare for communion right now. How much do you thank God for, for your salvation? And how do you express that? If you've only sinned a little bit, you don't have to express much. And if your sin would only cause a minor sentence, then you don't have to show much thanks. But if you know scripture, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you know what I deserve, you know what you deserve. You know what God demands. Then you appreciate that he took all my punishment and placed it on his son, Jesus. Jesus gladly took it so that I could go free, so that you could be free. Not to free to do, to do as you please, but to be free from the debt so that you can show your eternal gratitude to the Father for what he's done for you. You owe, yes, but it's, we gladly owe Jesus for what he's done for me. We gladly owe him. We willingly give him praise and thanks and glory for what he has paid for us. As we come to communion tonight, it's with that thought that we take communion. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have no business taking communion today. <clears throat> but communion is for believers. And it's for believers who are willing to express what they've been forgiven in a commitment to obedience to God. If you're holding back from God, Elder Brian says it all the time, if, if we plan to go from here and, and sin, there's a specific thing we plan on doing and we know it's wrong, woe to us if we take communion today. So it's for those who are committed to walk in obedience to God. I'm not saying we're perfect and we have the, the perfect um, um, ability to carry that out, but God does give us the strength to do that. We are willing to walk in obedience to God. That's what communion is for. So as we prepare ourselves for communion, would you examine your heart? Get right with God. And then come and be a part of communion. Elder, would you lead us in a time where we can examine ourselves and then conclude that with a prayer time? So at this time, while it's quiet, would you reflect, pray, ask God to forgive you, cleanse you, and prepare your heart for communion today? We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be part of your church, Lord. 
We thank you for forgiving us a debt so big, Lord, that we could never hope to pay it, Lord. And we know that ourselves, Lord, that we, we are guilty before you. We are not worthy of the love that you've given us, Lord. We are not worthy of your forgiveness. It's not something we could ever deserve. We cannot deserve to be part of your church, Lord, or in the sanctuary, Lord, of your holy people. And yet you've called us, Lord, and all we can do is say thank you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would have us examine ourselves, Lord. If we are not sufficiently thankful to be in this sanctuary, Lord, it's because we don't believe that we have to be forgiven. We have pride in our hearts, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that if there is pride in our hearts, Lord, that we will confess that sin and forsake it. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody in here, Lord, who is set to do sin, Lord, they have committed to do evil, Lord, they have partnered with evil, Lord, I pray that they will be convicted. And if they have that intention, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would not take this communion with us, Lord, because this is a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, with you, Lord. A communion, Lord, that is meant to be made in holiness, not meant to be made with playing around. If there's anybody in here, Lord, who wants to live a double life, where they want to pretend one way in front of us and act a different way when they get out of here, Lord, I pray that you would just have them not take this communion, Lord. It'd be better for them to look bad in front of us than to look bad in front of you who knows all. Pray, Lord, if there's anybody in here, Lord, who has committed their life to Jesus Christ, who have decided, Lord, that they are going to obey his commandments, and they're not going to be perfect, Lord, but that they're going to confess their sins and forsake their sins and live in the sanctuary of the Holy Ones, Lord, that you would have them take this communion, Lord, so they could celebrate your life, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for this congregation here, Lord, that we would celebrate it, Lord, that you would receive our celebration, Lord, as offered to you. In your name we pray. Would leaders, would you direct from the back? I'm going to pray for the elements after we um, direct. As the leaders direct you, would you come from your seats down the side aisles? And then return down the center aisles.
before we take the cup. We're going to pray for these elements. Would you please just look at your cup, make sure you have something in there. If you don't, we'll have to exchange your cup. Make sure there's something in there. Okay. Before you open it, let's pray for these elements. I'm going to ask um, Cliff if he offer a word of prayer for the wafer that represents Jesus' body. And Nick, if you would offer a word of prayer for the juice that represents Jesus' blood. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you today for the commemoration of uh, what you did on Calvary's cross, Lord. It should have been us hanging there, and yet you took it upon yourself. And as we take the wafer today, Lord, we understand that it does nothing magically or mystically. We do this to represent your body on Calvary's cross, and we take it just to uh, memorize what you did for us. And we ask your blessing on it right now, for Christ's sake. Father God, we thank you this morning as we pray for the, the juice that represents your son's blood. Through the Old Testament, you showed us that blood was required for the forgiveness of sins. But there was no perfect sacrifice outside of your son that would cover the cost of ours. Father, we thank you as we take it this morning. Remember Jesus Christ's blood that he gave. Amen. Remove that seal, that top seal that exposes that wafer. Remember Christ as we eat together. That wafer represents Jesus' body. He took on a human body so that as a human being he could pay for the sins of humans of mankind he was sinless no sin in him at all that's why he could qualify to pay for our sin now if you take the seal off of the cup prepare that be ready it represents Jesus' blood that was necessary for the payment of our sin God demanded that his son be put to death as a sacrifice to pay for my sin, to pay for your sin. Let's drink it with thankfulness. While these men are before me, we have a, another task to take on today. I'm going to ask Linwood if he would come forward. Linwood and David as well. David, I saw you. Where are you? There you are. Our most recent membership class had four individuals. There were two individuals who were presented to you already, Prashanta and Samuel, who have already been voted in to be members. And now we present these to you to be voted in as members. Um, first of all, Linwood was baptized today, and so we wanted to make sure we, we did that first before we presented to him for, for membership. And then David was finally examined by our leadership team. 
Um, so both have been examined and both are approved to you. I presented them to our leadership team with my approval. They examined them and present them to you with, with all of our approval. And now we want you to vote to accept. We're going to take them one at a time because it is a vote. Let me start with Linwood. All in favor of accepting Linwood as a member of Sweet Communion Baptist Church, please respond by aye. Aye. Any opposed by nay? And so, Carrie Linwood, thank you. <laughs> Remain with us here. I'm going to ask you to vote for David with the same approval from our team. All in favor of accepting David as a member of Sweet Communion Baptist Church, please respond by aye. Aye. Any opposed by nay? And so, Carrie. So, Carrie, we, we'll excuse that one with the sore throat. We'll tickle. You get them later. Um, praise God. Seriously, praise God for these two individuals and the opportunity to welcome them. Uh, I think I went out of order, but we're ready for, we're going we're gonna to have a closing song. So I'm going to ask you stay up here. We have um, is it the praise team that's coming up. Praise team, would you come up? Lead us in a song. The song is really just as I am, and it reminds us of the humility that is required to be humble as a child. Mm -mm.
Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Come with me in a word of prayer. After prayer, we're going to ask you to come and, and uh, engage in the fellowship, the right hand of fellowship for these two gentlemen and welcome them in the sweet communion. Father, thank you. Humble our hearts as we reflect on your goodness and grace to us and forgiveness that comes through the blood of Jesus. And now, Lord, you have brought to us two more individuals who commit themselves to you and being a part of this church. Thank you for Linwood. Thank you for David. May they enjoy um, this fellowship, and may we enjoy their fellowship as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 